Hey everyone, welcome to episode 86, Managing Our Children's Big Emotions. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. So I asked for your input since this is our podcast and the responses were so overwhelming. They were pretty much the same with some variances. And I just want to remind you that you can all always email me. A lot of times you'll email me and say, I'm sorry, I know you're so busy. Or I know you get a million emails. Like, don't apologize for emailing me. When I send out the email on Wednesdays, I want you to reply with, this was my biggest takeaway. Love this one. Didn't like this one. Don't have this problem. You're talking about siblings. I don't have two kids. I only have one, but it was great for when we go on play dates. I want to hear from you. You can hit reply on the email. It's not like you're emailing a big box store. It's me. It's Kelly. I'm just like you. So (laughs) I asked you all and I love hearing from you. So maybe I'll just start sending out more polls. Like, what'd you have for breakfast? How are you feeling? How many kids do you have? What's your biggest pain point? What's your favorite thing about your kids? I might start doing that just for giggles. So I asked you, do you want to talk about managing other people's opinions, how to fail forward to your goals, how to manage your kids' big emotions, how to stop comparing yourself to others, how to break cell phone addictions, or other. And a lot of you were all of the above, and you're all in luck because in the future, and on our podcast, those are all going to be topics. Those are all topics that I'm preparing for and reading about and studying and taking notes and listening to podcasts about them, looking on Google. I'm doing all the research for the different topics, and those are all floating around in my head right now. So when I get them out on paper, and I'm like, okay, which one do I want to tell my brain to focus on first? Because I have them all going on. It's almost like different bank accounts, and different notes are going into the different bank accounts. And so as I'm leading up to when I record, I tell my brain, I create think time. I'm like, okay, brain, think about this. But when I'm thinking about all five, my brain's like, which one do I go to? So with your help, we are focusing on how to manage our kids' big emotions. But that does not mean the other ones are being ignored. They are all coming up. I have notes. I have book suggestions. I have podcast suggestions. I have quotes. I have statistics. This is like the real deal, Camille, okay? I read a lot of books and then I'm your Cliff Notes. So managing your kids' emotions. And I say it every week, but I want to keep saying it. There is a myth out there that like either my kids are unicorns or I'm a unicorn or my kids don't have big emotions or I don't have big emotions or David doesn't have big emotions. That we're all just robots and that everything is perfect in our home. Remember, everything in our home is B minus. B minus marriage. I'm a B minus parent. My kids are B minus. My house is B minus. My relationship with myself is B minus. Because I think sometimes we get in compare and despair. We think like, this life is so hard. I'm really struggling. It's like we're all taking a test. And then you look over at Pollyanna Perfect over in the corner and she has the bow on top of her head and she's getting straight A's and she gets 100 every single time. You're like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Sometimes I think that you think that I'm that person sitting in the class with the bow on her head and I'm not. Please don't ever, 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 ever think that. 
that's one of the hardest things about doing this work is when you put yourself out there, then you kind of put your kids out there too and your family and your husband and your marriage. And it's all just, all just being humans. Last night, Lily was mad at me because I took all the hot water. I've been trying to take Epsom salt baths because I've been working really hard in my workouts. So I've been super sore and I'm not 21 anymore. And I think that I am, my body does, but then my body hurts and it aches, a good ache. So the Epsom baths have really been helping. Well, if I take them after my workout, then I'm exhausted because the Epsom baths make you sleepy, or at least that's what I read. And so I've been taking them at night. Well, that's when everybody else in the family showers. And apparently I'm taking all the hot water. Didn't know that. So she's like, you took all the hot water. I just can't believe it. I'm so mad at you. I'm like, I know. It's just, I did not know that. I'm sorry. I will adjust accordingly. Maybe I can go last. And she's like, you're just so annoying to be mad at. I'm like, tell me more. And she goes, because everything's just like a life lesson. And like, there's just nothing to like fight against. And I'm like, I know, isn't that so annoying? I said, I've just dropped the rope and there's no tug of war. She's like, it's so annoying. I'm like, because you're when you're annoyed, you want to fight, right? And she's like, yeah. I like put my dukes up. And then there's nothing to fight against because I want to get defensive and be like, I deserve a bath. I didn't know. How was I supposed to know I was taking all the hot water? Stop being so mean to me. And then I said, it's okay to be angry at me. I get angry too. And she's like, oh, there you go again. And then David goes, it's all part of the human experience, right, Kelly? <laughs> My goal for this podcast is to keep everything in your home very light and fluffy. Now, can we just agree that every child has big feelings? There's not one child who doesn't have big feelings. There's no child that doesn't feel sad or mad or angry or disappointed or frustrated. Being human is hard. I'm 46 and all of those tricky emotions I just stated, I have them every single day. When I know that it's part of the human experience, then you're not fighting against it. You're like, oh, of course. That's part of the human experience. That's so normal. I'm supposed to feel these emotions. So then sometimes when our kids feel these big feelings that we have every single day, or most of them every day, we're shocked and we're surprised and we're baffled and we think that something has gone wrong and that we're bad parents. And if I was doing it better, they wouldn't be so sad or they wouldn't be so frustrated or they wouldn't be so disappointed. And so then we want to fix it all because we love them so much. So it's so hard for us to see them uncomfortable. And one of my favorite quotes by Rebecca Eanes, she says, so often children are punished for being human. Children are not allowed to have grumpy moods, bad days, disrespectful tones, or bad attitudes. Yet we adults have them all the time. We think if we don't nip it in the bud, it will escalate and we will lose control. Let go of that unfounded fear and give your child permission to be human. We all have days like that. None of us are perfect and we must stop holding our kids to a higher standard of perfection than we can attain for ourselves. All of the punishments you could throw at them won't stamp out their humanity for to err is human and we all do it. Oh, can you even just like drop the mic even more? Because I asked on Facebook, when was your child upset in the last 24 hours? And I had hundreds of responses and they were all having human emotions and we're all very rattled by this. And we think if we had a different child, then that child would not have tricky emotions. And I'm going to swap out my kids for your kids for a day and you will see that my kids have tricky emotions every single stinking honking day. And I want that. Before I didn't want it, I wanted my kids happy all the time because if they were happy all the time, then that meant I was a good parent. It was all about me. But now when I think about wanting them happy all the time, it's just kind of weird. It's like, what? No, I don't want you to be a Stepford child. You know that movie Stepford Wives? The wives are all like smiling and they're dressed with their pearls and perfectly cooked dinner and they're wearing high heels all day. I'm like, what? That is so weird and gross. And sometimes we want our kids to be Stepford kids. We're just like, do all the things, don't have any feelings, don't have any tricky emotions because that's hard on me. 
this is where we get to step up and be a parent. So there are specific steps and I want you to plug and play these steps into your family that works for you. And I just want to remind you that my kids have these tricky emotions every single stinking honking day, sometimes every other day because they're 10 and 12 now, and they have a ton of strategies and they know that nothing's gone wrong. And I want to share them all when they happen, but sometimes like, especially now because they're 10 and 12, I feel like I'm kind of throwing them under the bus. Like I'm kind of like talking about private stuff. And it's weird because when they're like three and five, you tell all the things. But with their 10 and 12, you have to get permission for everything. And I should have when they were three and five. Like consent to share their stories and share that what's upsetting them, that's kind of private. So I try to share and I ask for their permission. So overall, I just want to remind you that tricky emotions are part of the human experience and we don't want them to go away. We want to treat them with empathy and compassion. Our goal is to change the behavior, but never to change the emotion. Can I shout that from the rooftop, please? We want to change the behavior, but we never want to change the emotion. You will actually connect when you learn how to do these steps and you won't be so rattled when your kids get upset, even when they're at Publix and having a meltdown in front of all the people, even in front of the people that you think are judging you. Like, let's say you think your mother-in-law is judging you. You're still going to be okay with it because your child is having human emotion. The more I can normalize that for you, talking about my kids, your kids, I've had your kids in my classroom, it's all normal and it's all okay because they're having tricky emotions and they don't have any strategies. Now, I want you to think about all the strategies that we have as adults for managing stress because when we think about tricky emotions, we'll just call it stress. We all have stress. Stress means you care about life. And so somehow we think our kids should not have any stress, but they're having stress about different things. So then we start to judge and shame them for being upset about things that they're upset about because we think, well, you shouldn't be upset about that. But remember, they have a tooth fairy brain. What does that mean? Their brains are still very undeveloped. They believe if a tooth falls out of their mouth, that a F-A-I-R-Y will F-L-Y in your H-O-U-S-E and they'll put money underneath their pillow. So we have to remember who we're dealing with. And that's a good thing. That's what's so beautiful about children is how young and vibrant and impressionable and silly and full of life and how childlike they are. It doesn't mean you excuse the behavior and allow it. It means you allow the emotion. And how do we do that? The first step is to definitely detach your ego. This is the hardest step. But once you get this step, life is so beautiful. There is a space between their action and your reaction. In that space is the power of the pause. And in that pause is when the powerful sentences come and play. Now, when you're unconscious, you think things like, me included, these are all things I think without managing my mind. I think things like, that's silly to get upset about that. You're too old to be upset about that. I get very judgmental about what they're upset about, even though I'm not accepting the as is of what they're upset about. I'm not honoring any of their feelings. I'm just like, you shouldn't be upset about it. Make it stop. Stop crying. Go away. If those worked, if they're working in your house, then keep doing them. I found it actually made the behavior and the emotion stronger because I'm asking them to resist something that they can't resist. Now think about strategies we have as adults to manage our stress. We have healthy ways to manage our stress and we have unhealthy ways. Okay, let's just go over a couple off the top of my head. Some healthy ways that we know manages stress. What we eat manages stress. How much we sleep manages stress. How we talk to ourselves manages stress. Exercise manages stress. Journaling our feelings manages stress. Meditation manages stress. Listening to inspiring music. Taking time for ourselves. If we had a chart and we had the good ways of managing stress, those would be all in the good ways. Those are the healthy ways of managing stress. Life is stressful. It's supposed to be stressful. We all feel it in different ways and for different reasons. 
We also have unhealthy ways of managing stress, which we would put under the unhealthy. You might think they're healthy, but they might go under the unhealthy column. Sometimes we eat our feelings. We don't want to feel our feelings, so we just eat them. Like, I'm just going to have a Twinkie. Twinkies make everything better. I'm just going to have a glass of wine, maybe a bottle of wine, because I would just want to numb out for a little bit. We might watch Netflix to kind of chill and relax, unwind, manage our stress. We might shop to kind of distract our feelings and not really want to feel them. Some people vape. Vaping helps manage the stress. Some people smoke cigarettes. That helps manage the stress. Some people sleep, kind of just like forget about it all. I just don't want to feel the stress anymore. Some people like porn. That kind of takes their mind off. They don't have to have any risk. There's no rejection. Some people watch a lot of TV. Some people, the couch is very comforting to manage stress. Facebook is a great way to manage stress because you get involved in other people's lives and don't have to think about our own problems. Sometimes we do all healthy. Sometimes we do all unhealthy. Sometimes we do a combination of both. But we have strategies to manage stress, okay? Imagine being 5, 10, 15 and having zero healthy or unhealthy strategies to manage stress. Imagine being your age, I'm 46, and if I didn't have either column, life would be 10 times harder. And then I look to my people who are in charge of me and they're screaming at me that I can't manage something that I can't manage. It's kind of like getting mad at Grady that he doesn't know how to do chemistry. He's in fourth grade, 10 years old. I was helping him with his math the other day and he's doing triple digit multiplication facts times triple digit multiplication facts. And I don't usually help him with his math homework. David's like Mr. Brainiac and Mr. Finance guy when it comes to math. So he's always like the math dude and helps Grady with his homework, goes over the homework. It's super cute watching them at the dining room table, going over all the problems and things like that. But I haven't helped him in math. And like, I don't know, every once in a while I do, but I haven't seen it day in and day out. So probably, I don't know, a couple years ago. And I'm thinking, how in the world are you doing triple digit multiplication times triple digit multiplication? When I feel like we were just practicing your math facts and you were trying to memorize eight times six. How did this happen? Because it happens in levels. It happens with ages. It happens with stages. And lots and lots and lots of practice. So much practice every single day practice. So the way that we learn math and get better at math is by practicing it. Trial and error, trial and error, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. We don't ever get mad at math. Math gets a little bit harder. It just keeps getting harder and harder and harder. It's kind of like running a marathon. You don't start off running 26 miles. You run one mile. Then you run a mile again. Then you run a mile again. Then you're like, I think I might be ready for a mile and a half. And you build upon it. So we don't get mad at the marathon for being hard. We're just like, oh, I have to build up to this. So the same thing works when we're teaching our kids about emotional literacy. It just doesn't happen. It's not something they're born with it. No child is born with it. I've taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. I've counseled hundreds of kids. They are not supposed to manage their emotions. That is not normal. That is not something that they're born with it. Grady doesn't know how to do triple digit multiplication times triple digits multiplication. How did he learn? I'm not really sure because all of a sudden he's doing it and it's kind of easy for him. When I was like, eight times six equals 48 was just kind of hard for you. Just a little bit ago. I just feel like we blinked and all of a sudden you're doing this. How did this happen? The same thing works when we're teaching our kids how to manage their emotions. They don't know how to do it. Just like Grady did not come out of the womb knowing how to do multiplication. He had to practice. He had to do it in class. Then he had to do it at home. Then he would have math problems that would come up when he's doing a trivia game. Rinse, repeat, practice, rinse, repeat, practice. You know how many multiplication problems he's missed? A lot. And that's how he gets better. He fails forward. This is good news for our kids. The same thing works with our kids' emotions. I asked the other day, what has your child gotten upset with in the last 24 hours? And all of the reasons are very valid. They're having human emotion. Nothing's gone wrong. I put Lily was crying about her grades. Grady was really mad about losing on his video game. 
Sarah says that I wouldn't let him have the cardboard off of the Bob Evans macaroni we had for dinner last night. Michelle says the five-year-old was upset. It's not fair my brother gets to stay up. The 16-year-old was restricted internet use for a large portion of data use in one month on video calls and watching too much YouTube. 10-year-old brings trouble upon herself, but then gets mad and says her sister never gets in trouble who's six. Megan says, my one-and-a-half-year-old got upset because she asked me to turn on bubble guppies, and then I did. Jessica says, my nine-year-old girl is upset because she got beat on her video game. Ingrid says, I told them to go to the bathroom after he was holding his private parts and fidgeting, and how dare I remind him to go to the bathroom. One-year-old was upset because of the size of the piece of the food. Ten-year-old and seven-year-old were having trouble sharing their magnetiles. Seven-year-old is upset every day over having to do homework. Elena says, my six-year-old said her brother was walking too fast. My one-year-old said his daddy's not letting him sleep with mommy. Candace says, the seven-year-old was upset because her birthday was being over. You can see there's a common thread. So when next time your kids get upset, I don't want you to get upset that they're upset. Some things that come in your mind, just because they come in your mind doesn't mean they're factual. I want to help you in that pause to replace some of those thoughts with different thoughts. I'm going to give you a choice of different thoughts because detaching is the hardest part. But once you get detaching, life becomes so much easier because you don't go in the red zone with them. Remember, when our kids are upset, it's like they're drunk on alcohol. And if you've ever had someone who's had too much to drink and you're dealing with someone who's drunk, they are not speaking clearly, coherently. They're not in their right frame of mind. So a lot of times if you've ever had an argument with someone who's had too much to drink, it's like talking to the wall. You're not going to get anywhere. The same thing happens when our kids, they're drunk on emotion and they can't manage. They can't get out without our help, okay? Again, doesn't make the behavior okay. Doesn't make them turn into snowflakes. It means you're going to teach them what to do in that moment. But you have to detach your ego. For me, it helps me to see them as not belonging to me in that moment. This has no reflection of me. I'm worthy and whole when my kids are upset. I'm worthy and whole when they get straight A's. I'm worthy and whole. Nothing changes no matter what happens. If they say please and thank you, I'm worthy and whole. If they forget to say please and thank you and they have tantrums at Publix, I'm worthy and whole. So they have a reaction. They're upset. You can see the reasons why they're upset. So you're going to detach your ego, detach the little girl, detach the fear. Because in that moment, here are some sentences you can tell yourself. Remember, there's a pause between their action and your reaction. This is where the magic happens. If you spend all of your time on this part, then everything else, it doesn't really matter because you're not getting drunk with your child. You're not getting drunk on emotion too. Because then what you have is two drunk people talking to each other. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen. That is like actually comical. When I was pregnant, I wasn't able to drink. I would go to weddings and I would see this and I was like, oh my goodness, I've seen it on TV. If I've ever watched anything on Bravo, usually two people, when they're drunk, having conversations together, you're like, what? And that's what happens when we have a child who's having a hard time. We sink into emotional childhood with them and we join the roller coaster. We start drinking what they're drinking. That is a lose-lose. You're going to detach your ego, detach the little girl, detach the fear. Whatever helps you in that moment, it's not always walking away and taking a deep breath because then the child even gets bigger because they feel deserted. So things that you could say to yourself in that moment between their action and your reaction, you're going to hear all of your junk thoughts. You're going to hear all of the things that make you react has nothing to do with your child. Because if my children were in your house, you would treat them completely differently and not be so reactive to them. If you've ever watched a niece or nephew, if you've ever been a coach of a soccer team, if you've ever been a band leader, if you've ever been a counselor, you've ever been a teacher, if you've ever been XYZ, not in charge of the kids, but in charge of the kids, that's ego-free parenting. So detaching in that moment, but you also want to hear the thoughts that you are thinking. 
like, she shouldn't feel this way. She's not acting her age. She's always crying. He's always crying. He's always raging. He's always rage quitting. He's always, he's always, he's always. So think about your thinking in that moment. And then you're just going to gently replace your thinking with different thoughts. Here are some suggestions. And then you also want to plug in your own. You could say something to yourself like, I'm going to stay calm to help me stay calm. Some people say in that moment, what would Kelly do in this moment? That's a way of detaching. Not that I'm the end all be all, but that helped me. I, I, when I was starting, I was like, what would Shafali do in this moment? Think about a really calm parent that you know. My sister's very calm. So like, what would Molly do in this moment? What would Jennifer do in this moment? That helped me. And again, these thoughts are happening so rapidly and you want to stack your thoughts because if one thought doesn't come in, then you have other things to back it up. One thing that really helped me when I was trying to get my cool and not lose my cool was they're a child of God. They don't belong to me. That to me is so meaningful that it works so well. Sometimes I'll even tell Grady, I'm like, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a child of God. No, 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 no. He's like, you're a grown up of God. They're having a hard time versus giving me a hard time. That's very helpful for parents. I'm going to be the flight attendant on this turbulent flight for them. This is my chance to get a mom. I just started doing this one. This one's really helpful. This is my chance where I get to show up as their mom. Their assertive pack leader energy like Randy Rubenstein talks about. Sometimes I'll think, this is where I'm going to teach them emotional literacy. I wonder what emotion's at the root of this. I also like to think of like, they're coming to me now with an emotion they don't know what to do with. Just like when Grady comes to me with a math problem, he doesn't know what to do. That's really helpful. So these different sentences and phrases, practice them during calm waters. So when they hand you the drink and they want you to take a shot of vodka with them, I'm talking figuratively, of course, you're like, no, I'm going to think different thoughts. But this is where the magic happens. I also want you to think about when you're upset and you're having tricky emotions, what do you want from your friends? What do you want from your spouse? What do you want from someone that you call on the phone or even text them? What do you want from them? You want empathy. You want compassion. You want to know that you're not alone. You want to know that this is normal and nothing's gone wrong. Our kids want the same things from us. So it becomes super easy when you don't even look at the behavior, you look at the emotion. What is the emotion here? So when you detach, after you've detached, then you label their emotion. My kids are older, so I give them a choice of two emotions. Or sometimes I'll say, that must have been so frustrating for you. Was that frustrating for you? When they're really little, they don't even know any emotions. So feelings charts are really good, so they can kind of point to it. So you're going to label the emotion. If they're older, you give them a choice of two. This also depends on their emotional literacy skills. If they don't know any emotions, then you don't give them choices. You can ask them, do you feel sad? Do you feel mad? Do you feel angry? The older they are, Lily will tell me, I'm projecting. I'm like, oh, I saw it. I saw it. It's okay. I project too. When you go into it with empathy and compassion, just like you want a friend to do, then it just takes the sting out of it. Our goal is to diffuse the situation, not add flames. When we accept the as is of every single situation, life becomes so much easier because you're not trying to talk them out of their emotions. I don't know if you've ever been trying to talk out of your emotion. You feel like you're being gaslit. You're like, I'm really upset about that. Or you're like, the lights are too bright in here. They're like, what do you mean? The lights aren't even on. What are you talking about? And you feel like you're crazy and you feel like nobody gets you. That's what we don't want our kids to feel. So you detach, you label the emotion you see, or you give a choice of two depending on their age and stage. And then you completely normalize that feeling because you felt disappointed before. You felt angry. You felt lonely. You felt left out. You felt those feelings before. A lot of times we want to fix the emotion. We want to say, it's okay. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous about that test or that game. Or don't be sad that you couldn't sit with your friends. Should I call the teacher and make it better? What do you mean you didn't get your grades put in the right way? I'm calling the teacher right now. No, 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 no. It's like you put it back on the child. I can't wait to see the way you figure this out. That must have been so confusing for you. I'm here if you need me. 
I think you got this, but if not, I'm here. So we're detaching, we're labeling, and then we're normalizing it. And this is the stage of normalizing where they're going to be like, oh, nothing's gone wrong. When I was going through infertility, I felt very alone because no one in my community was struggling with infertility. So I went online and I felt so much comfort finding the groups that were going through something that was I was going through. And I felt so much less shame because I wasn't alone. So that connective energy, when someone gets you and you're like, oh, I felt disappointed before. Oh, I felt frustrated. Oh, I felt angry. Oh, I felt sad. Oh, I felt left out. Oh, I've had FOMO. I know what that feels like. You're not making it about you, but you just kind of like, I know how you feel. That's very connective when you feel that, when someone says that to you, or that must be so hard. That must be so confusing. These are all different ways to say, but you can't think clearly if you're in the red zone with them, if you're intoxicated on emotions with them. Detach, label, normalize, then support. Now, the support stage we're going to talk a lot about, and I'm going to give you lots of examples of seeing these played out with my own kids, with stories that they've allowed me to share. And when you're in the support stage, it depends on their age and stage. When they're real little, they don't have any strategies to pull from. So it's like asking a three-year-old to multiply eight times four. They don't even know what that means. So during calm waters with your little ones, little, little, you're going to practice. You're going to role play. You're going to take a couple strategies and you're going to practice. And then when you're practicing and role playing, you're going to play both sides. So then you can see what they lean towards and what's helpful for them. When they're older, you can say, hey, I need feedback. How can I help in that situation? Because that was really hard to see you so upset. And sometimes I like step on your toes and we're dancing this dance and I think you need my help, but you actually need time alone, but I don't want to shun you. Some kids need a lot of support. Some kids just want to be there by themselves. So when they're older, you can have that dialogue. When they're younger, no clue. No clue what even what you're saying. So we try to have these rational conversations during the messy moments. The goal is to do it during the calmer waters and then you can see what they gravitate towards. Then you can use it as a strategy to use during the support stage. So during the support stage, when my kids were little, little, they had, we practiced a lot. And I would say something like, I give them a choice of two. They feel very out of control in this moment. So you're just holding the space. You're just detaching. You seem sad. I have felt that way too before. How can I help? Now, you can't ask an open-ended question to a little kid. They'll be like, I don't know. Get away. You're mean. I don't like you. You're the worst mother ever. Because they're feeling pain and hurting kids hurt other people, hurt with their words. So whatever words they're saying, not that you ignored them, but you just know that hurting people hurt others. So you know that they're hurting and they don't know what to do. It's kind of like Lily last night. She was annoyed that I wasn't defensive about the bathwater. I was like, yeah, you're right. So then there's no tug of war, so to speak. So then you give them a choice of two choices. When they're real little, little, do you want to make soup or do you want to blow out a birthday cake? Those are two choices. Now, making soup means, again, we practice during calm water. So when we say making soup, they know what we're talking about. If I asked my 10 and 12-year-old to make soup or blow out the birthday cake, they would literally probably throw me in the lake. That's why this is very tricky to teach via podcast because you have to take the information, disseminate it into your heart, and then make it work for your family. Because people will say, well, I'm trying everything and nothing's working. I'm trying what you say and nothing's working. And I'll say, okay, take what I'm saying, make it your own, and make it work for your child. Because this works because kids want to know that they're okay. They want to know that you love them, that you affirm them, and that you're okay with them not being okay. We have to get super comfortable seeing our kids uncomfortable because that's when we can teach them about emotional literacy. Just like Grady with his math facts, he's been practicing for 10 years to do triple-digit multiplication. He hasn't been practicing triple-digit multiplication, but he's been practicing up until this point to lead him to this stage. So that's why you know your child best, their age, their stage, their gender, their temperament. What works for one doesn't work for all. So making soup means when they were little, during calm waters, we would practice. 
with stuffed animals. Sometimes I'd be the one that was acting up. Sometimes the stuffed animal would be the one acting up. How can we help the stuffed animal? So making soup means you cup your hands together. It's very silly, but it worked wonders. You cup your hands together and you say, do you want to make soup or do you want to blow out a birthday cake? Grady always chose soup. Lily wanted to be left alone. Grady wanted to make soup. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a bowl of soup. I'm going to make Marmaduke soup. He's like, I'm going to make SpongeBob soup or Dora soup or Mario soup. He gets to choose the kind of soup he wants to make. And what you're doing is you're gently sobering them up in the meantime, and you're teaching them a strategy in the process. You're not just expecting them to manage their stress. You're teaching them how to manage their stress. But the more upset they are, the calmer you are. People say, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's harder to sleep with mommy guilt and to lose your cool. If losing your cool is working, then keep doing that. Most people come to me because they've lost their cool for so many times. They have so much guilt and shame that they don't know what to do. So I'm here to help. So you've detached, you labeled, normalized it, offer support. And this all happens very fast. So the soup, okay, I'm making Marmaduke soup. I don't know where I came up with Marmaduke. He's making SpongeBob. He's making Dora soup. Okay, what are you going to add in your soup? He's going to add Swiper. He's going to add the map. He's going to add Dora. And as I'm kind of like, this is like a dance. Are you ready to smell the soup? They're in control now. You've given them all the power because they feel very out of control. So you're giving them the control back within reason. It's a win-win. We're not giving discussions. We're not lecturing. We're not giving consequences. We can do that later when they're calm waters. We can have the big talks later. Grady was upset about his video games the other day. I had to detach. I said, wow, you're really frustrated with this game, aren't you? It usually gives you a lot of joy. He's like, I just don't even understand and Bowser and blah. And he's flipping out. And I'm like, I felt that before with Mario when I was a kid. It is brutal. And I'm like, do you want help calming down or do you want to calm down by yourself? I'm fine. I just got to beat Bowser. Okay. He's still a little, you know, a couple hours later, I'm like, bro, what was that all about? That's not going to work. That doesn't really work for me. So you can give consequences and talk about it later, but I'm going to talk about examples in the next in the next one. So when you're making soup, you want to smell the soup or you want to still keep adding things to the soup? I want to smell the soup. Okay. I'm going to smell my soup. You smell your soup. Let's cool it off. I'm kind of gauging how many more breaths. You want, to, you want to smell it some more or you want to cool it off some more? Are you ready to eat it? No, nope, let's cool it off some more. Okay. Oh, that breathing really helps me calm down too. So we're teaching while we're getting them to sober up, but we're not joining the reindeer games. And then, okay, I'm ready to eat it. Okay, I'm ready to eat it. And then we give each other bites. Oh, it's too hot. I'm going to blow up mine a little bit more. That's how you make soup. But we've practiced this during calm water. So when I offer it a suggestion, they're like, yes, that helps me. Breathing helps me. The birthday cake is you make a fake birthday cake. You add candles. How many candles do you want? I'm going to add this many. I'm going to add this many. You go back and forth and you're kind of like letting them kind of sober up slowly but surely. Okay, you ready to blow out the birthday cake? Ready? Let's take a deep breath in and then blow out the birthday candles. Three, two, one, blow out the birthday candles. And then now all of a sudden you're talking about the birthday cake. Then when it's over, you're like, what happened there? Let's do a rewind. We do a lot of rewinds in our family. Let's do a rewind. How could we handle that better? I know I could have handled it better. What could you have done differently? Detach, label, normalize, support. The support stage is, the I would say, the first and the last are the most important because it builds connection. It teaches them strategies in the process where we don't all of a sudden expect them to do triple-digit multiplication. We're teaching them. And how did he learn how to do multiplication? Trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, failing forward, failing forward, failing forward. Practice, 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 practice. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. This is practice for them, and it's also practice for us. And in that space between their action and your reaction is where you're going to learn about your unconscious thinking. You're going to think like, my kids shouldn't be acting this way. You're going to hear all your junk thoughts, but then you can replace them with whatever thoughts you want because you felt all those emotions too. So then you come at it with empathy and compassion and not anger and fury because that adds fuel to the fire. Your only job is to diffuse the situation, not to add flames to the fire. I've done both. Both are hard. There's just one that's hard on the front end and there's one that's hard on the back end. For me, Personally, and the hundreds of moms and dads that I help, 
sleeping with mommy guilt or daddy guilt, sleeping with that emotion, having guilt and shame every single day is miserable. So I'd rather do the pain on the front end versus on the back end because it's hard to see my kids uncomfortable. I love them. I want them to be happy all the time. But then I think, well, that's weird. Why would I want them to be happy all the time? They're not step for kids. So if we could just agree that all kids have tricky emotions and this is our job to step up. So think of new mantras that you want to think in that space. They're having a hard time versus giving me a hard time. I'm staying calm to help them stay calm. When I was starting this, I would say to them, I'm going to stay calm to help you stay calm because they want you to join the reindeer games with them. For me, helping them know that they're a child of God, they don't belong to me, then I see them as a soul having a human experience versus a reflection of me. Another thing that it helps me is knowing that the way that I treat them now is how they're going to be expected to be treated when they're in adult relationships. That is huge for me because they don't know any different. I could yell and scream all day and they're going to think that that's normal. And then they're going to be drawn to people who yell and scream all day, or they'll be the person that yells and screams all day. That is a huge motivating factor for me because I feel like I am creating our future in-laws, our daughter-in-law and our son-in-law and our in-laws, because they're going to be drawn to someone that love, kindness, gentleness, calmness is all very important to their family too. If I'm yelling and screaming and name-calling, Day in and day out, they're going to think that that's normal. Then they're going to be drawn towards relationships like that. And then their family and their future spouse, future boyfriend, girlfriend, what have you, yelling and screaming, name calling is completely normal. It won't feel good, but it will feel familiar. So that's a huge motivating factor for me. If you have come from a family that yelling and screaming and name calling was part of the human experience and you think that that's normal, now you get to change the setting. You get to change gears. You get to create the life that you want and be the parent that you needed when you were younger versus rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. So we get to break those patterns if it wasn't a pattern that you enjoyed. So I spent a little bit longer on these stages and these steps because I really, really, really want you to know these steps. And then I'm going to give you lots of examples of my kids when they're having tricky emotions, what it looks like in our home where all emotions are okay, the goal is to change the behavior, not to change the emotion. And when we can come at it with empathy and compassion, like, oh, of course they're feeling disappointed. I feel disappointed too. I know what that feels like. I can do disappointing. I can do sadness. I can do loneliness. I can do feeling left out. I can deal with overwhelm. I can teach about overwhelm because I felt that emotion too. This we can do together. I got your back. You got my back. We're in this together, palms up, no fists up. And when you soften and you drop down your walls, then they will soften and drop down their walls. And then what's really cool is you'll see them doing it with each other. And this is the number one way to get your husband on board. If you were trying to get a spouse on board or your wife on board is to model and embody it first, stay on your side of the street. And then he or she would be like, hey, that's really working over there. I'm gonna see what that's all about versus you need to do this. You should do this. This is the way to do it. We're going to stay in our lane. We're going to control our side of the street. And I remember learning about this work and I was like, oh my goodness, wait a minute. It was like the eureka moment. If I'm the problem, that means I'm the solution too. Not that something's gone wrong or there's something wrong with me, but I had so much ego involved in my parenting that I was like, oh my gosh, I've been spending five years trying to control these little minions. And now I don't have to even think about them or focus on them. I just have to control my side of the street. And life became so much easier and so much more empowering. And everything started to feel very light and fluffy. And even when it wasn't light and fluffy, I was like, oh, that's totally normal. It's not supposed to feel light and fluffy all the time. 
We're not the Stepford family. I don't have Stepford kids. I don't want to be the Stepford wife. I don't want David to be the Stepford husband. Perfect is gross. I don't want perfect. I want human experiences. I want to teach them emotional literacy. The only way I can teach them emotional literacy if they come to me with math problems that they don't know what to do with it. Just like Grady, he goes to David with math problems. He doesn't know what to do. David's like, all right, try this. Oh, that didn't work. Try this. Oh, that didn't work. Try this strategy. Boom, that worked for that problem. Same thing when we're teaching emotional literacy. We want them to come to us with their feelings, with their emotions. And we're like, oh, totally normal. Here's a strategy that works for me. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this one. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this one. Oh, that didn't work for anger, but it worked for sadness. Okay, let's try this one. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And in the meantime, you're filling their toolbox with so many tools to manage their emotions. So then when we become 22, 32, 42, and they have these tricky emotions, they're not choosing from the unhealthy side. They're like, oh, this is part of the human experience. I don't need to run from this. I don't need to Facebook from this. I don't need to eat from this. Nothing's gone wrong. This is completely normal. And they accept the as-is of who they are because when they're younger, we're accepting the as-is of who they are. So stay tuned for next week when I talk about examples when Lily, Grady, David, and me all have tricky emotions, how the steps work, and how we actually feel closer after the tricky emotions versus separate and distant after the tricky emotions. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.